What's good, everyone? Welcome to the Filipinos of Montreal podcast, Filipino Heritage Month series. And today joining us, we have Beatrice Dimakulangan. The Super last excited. Time, <laughs> I think the last time we bumped into you was at Pinoy's on Parliament, which was back in February. Wow. Yeah. It feels yeah. like before so long ago, everything. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you been up to lately? How have you been keeping busy? Um, so I guess everyone in quarantine is kind of in similar boats, uh, just trying to survive and and like stay busy and stay sane um but so now i'm back in jersey i'm not in montreal anymore um so i'm back with my family and i just graduated also congratulations congratulations thank you (laughs) thank you so now i'm kind of in this crisis of like oh like what do i do with my life now uh what do i do and um so yeah i've just been taking some time to try to figure out my next steps and kind of just like a time to like be with my family and just yeah I'm trying not to be too hard on myself about how productive I'm being right now but uh yeah just trying to get by I you know it. I think you're at a good stage you have the opportunity to explore things you, you might want to do you might not want to do but uh, it's gonna be a fun part of your life I think so <laughs> um before getting into uh the questions I have a general question for both of you what was your favorite TV show growing up? Think about that. That's so hard. Yeah, I know, I know. TV show growing up. Yeah, I think for me, it's going to show my age, but it means Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's, oh, that yeah. was my favorite day. Eh? Yeah, that was good. I feel I, like... Oh, go ahead. No, you... Okay. Well, I was just going to say, again, I'll show my age as well. Probably like ALF or Transformers. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> ALF, oh my God. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I watched a lot of Full House growing up. Oh my god! Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one too. Yeah. House cream. Did you guys watch the uh, what is it? The the new version on Netflix? I haven't had a chance to take a look at that. Oh, something's gonna be the same. I know. Yeah, I keep hearing um, other folks saying that like it just it just ruined it for them. (laughs) So I I, like don't want to go down that path. Oh my god! Yeah, it was such a great show. So yeah, so you're in New Jersey. So I was going to ask you if you were always based in Montreal. Um, what's your journey been like? Because you got here, you're back there. I'm just curious. Like, tell us about a little bit about that. Um, so I was born in Brooklyn, in New York, uh, but then I mostly grew up in um, New Jersey. That's where I went to like middle school and high school and everything. Um, and then I came to Montreal for university, and it actually um it it was not part of the plan because <laughs> I had applied to a bunch of schools and then the only reason why I applied to McGill was because I didn't have to do um a college essay like an okay. application essay because okay. like yeah the U.S. application system is wild so I just I was like you know what yeah let me just send in my application whatever and then I got into a couple schools but McGill like compared to the U.S. schools they are so expensive and I couldn't afford to go so I was like okay McGill is like a cheaper option and then I ended up in Montreal Um, and I was actually salty about it for a little bit because (laughs) because I had actually my my dream school was Brown um, in Mm -hmm. um, oh my god what Rhode Island and so I had 
like all of high school, I was like, okay, I'm gonna like work to get into this school. And then I got in and then I couldn't afford it. And so I was like pretty salty because I was like, wow, like I did all this work for nothing. And now I have to go to Canada, (laughs) super cold, like, um, but it ended up, I, I think that is such a, for me was such like a prime example of like everything happens for a reason. Cause I feel like so much of that learning experience and how much I've experienced and kind of learned um, in the past four years in Montreal has really uh, had an influence on shaping like who I'm becoming and like where I want to go and just yeah it's been an amazing experience and now I want to stay for a little bit. Isn't that, sorry, I just, just a remark, isn't that really telling though? Like you obviously had the credentials, the marks, you know, the, the gusto to be accepted to Brown, but the reason you couldn't go is because you couldn't afford it. Like, and it came down to money. Like that, Mm. that just blows my mind. Like it's, uh, anyways, anyways, we're, Montreal accepts you, you know, we're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, how was adjusting? You went from like the U.S. to Montreal where there's French. I'm not sure if they, they taught you guys French oh. in the States. So I don't know. <laughs> um, so we actually did have, uh, we had like a language program at my school where you could either uh, opt to take Spanish, French, or Italian. But mm-hmm. I took Spanish. So I didn't take any <laughs> French. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a big adjustment coming from uh, like a pretty small town in Jersey to being in a city for the first time. Okay. Not only like being in a city but then also being in a in a new city at -hmm. the start of university in a new country where (laughs) it's like this french province so it it was definitely a big adjustment um because i was like i don't i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) i don't know how to navigate this and i feel like a lot of um my first year was definitely more confined to like the university bubble where I wasn't venturing out as much or like putting myself out there because I I was still you know in the process of like a huge adjustment um so that first year was a little rough for me (laughs) but I I I eventually found my footing I think um (laughs) you know for me Jersey I have I have like these awesome memories as a kid going to Wildwood and I think there's a beach nearby oh yeah oh my god (laughs) are you near that spot that area or um it's like relatively it's like maybe an hour away or something okay. like all of all of the coast on <laughs> like accessible um oh God. And i feel like there's a factory outlet sorry I, I used to go factory outlet shopping back in the day a lot and i was always in the states so <laughs> it's all these crazy memories popping up right now um yeah i'm curious for you how did filipino culture kind of manifest as uh, you grew up um okay so i grew up like in the suburbs of Jersey where there's a lot of white folk so (laughs) there was one town that I lived in that there was a lot of Filipinos but then we ended up moving out of that town um and then the town where I did mostly grow up like there wasn't that strong of a Filipino community so I didn't and we also don't have that much family in the US, I'd say most of our family is in the Philippines, but we have like some relatives like here and there, but we don't, mm. you know, see them as often. So I didn't really have Filipino friends or like a Filipino community growing up. And that was always a weird kind of thing for me to navigate where I did 
have some ties to the culture just like through my family and like what I knew about the Philippines but there was never really this like strong sense of identity mm-hmm. um and it actually wasn't until but it, it I was actually talking to my friend about this the other day it was like such a strange position to navigate because even though I I didn't have strong ties to a Filipino identity I also did not have strong ties to like an American identity and that was like I think that that othering was so internalized to the point where like it didn't occur to me until later on in my life that I was actually American like when someone would ask me like where are you from I'd be like oh my family's from the Philippines I wouldn't be like I'm from Jersey you know what I mean and it was like that internalized othering where it's like oh like your family like isn't actually from here you know what I mean so it was like a weird yeah it was a very very weird position to navigate and then it wasn't until I actually came to Montreal that I started to find more like Filipino communities and like Filipino friends and like folks in the diaspora that I I could like talk about these like types of experiences who kind of like understood that navigating of like the in-between. Yeah I, th- I think um, for all of us as teenagers that question of identity just trying to figure that out has been very difficult you know like mm. who am I am I more Filipino for me am I more Canadian mm-hmm. what's do I blend do I anyways um, with that in mind were you always comfortable being Filipino or did that just come with time or um, I mean, I feel like I, again, it was like a weird thing because I was proud to be Filipino, but I didn't know what that actually meant. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would, like, if people would ask me, I'd be like, yeah, like, I'm Filipino, but like, what, I I was so out of touch with, like, the, knowing the actual, like, history and, like, the culture and heritage and everything, and it's like, I would kind of, like, associate myself with that without actually understanding like yeah the the significance or like what that actually means to me because I think that that that's also like different for everyone but then it it was also strange because so I say how like I I was talking about how you know I I didn't feel that American um, but then so when I started to get a little older and I, I got a little bit more curious about you know, Filipino culture and, and like re, um, reconnecting with my roots and everything. Like I took a trip back to the Philippines kind of like in search of that and to like really understand like what's going on over there. But then, and you know, in my head, I kind of had this expectation of like, oh, maybe this will help me like actually understand my identity as like a Filipino or whatever. And then I went, but then so folks in America don't think that you're American enough, but then folks in the Philippines, mm-hmm. like when they oh, see yeah. someone from the diaspora, like they don't, they didn't think I was Filipino. Like they would think of me as like American or as a, a Westerner or like everyone, everyone over there would ask me if I was mixed. Cause yeah. like, I guess like I'm a little lighter and they, mm-hmm. they thought I was like mixed, like American or like white or something. Mm-hmm. So they, they, it's like, you don't get this acceptance in America but then you also don't get this like full acceptance like with folks in the homeland so it's like where where do you where fit you, yeah you fit. Um, I, I'm kind of happy sorry Terry I, no, I'm kind of happy you mentioned that whole thing about 
you know, not even identifying as American and especially bringing up right now about, you know, where do I fit? Because I, even till today, I myself kind of, I've never, not for any particularly good or bad reasons, but I haven't, I don't necessarily identify as Canadian or Quebecois, but I identify as Filipino and as Montrealer. Those are the two things I'll, uh, I'll identify with like immediately. So uh, it's just nice to know that other people kind of think about those things as well. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, sure. When did you last visit the Philippines? I think last year, last February. I'm trying oh. to remember the time. Yeah, I think it was the last time that I visited. Was, or was it? No, I think I went in December. Oh my God, I am so bad at <laughs> keeping time. I know, uh, I know I went for, for Christmas recently, either this okay. past December or the year before that. And then I also went in a February. It, not, not this past February, but I think the year before okay. that for a, a medical mission. Okay. Um, what I was, I was curious to ask was, did you have a takeaway when you visited the Philippines? Something kind of like opened your eyes when you were there? Like, oh my God, any kind of culture <laughs> shock hit you? Um, so, I mean, I've been to the Philippines, like, a couple times throughout my life. Like, my okay. family usually, um, we go back, like, every three or four years to, to see our family. So, it's like, it was something that I, you know, I would be exposed to throughout my life. But at, at the time, like, when you're young, like, you don't really have the language to really understand. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot to process. Of course. But, you're not necessarily like cognizant of it like at that age but I know in the mo more recent trips something that um, really really struck me was the just like this such stark disparity where mm -hmm. you know you could be driving through one area that is just like complete slums and like shanty houses and everything and you go a couple meters up the hill or whatever and it's like this gated residence with these massive massive mansions and it's like how like how does this happen you know um so that was something that that really struck me um and then also this was something that you know ha would happen when i was younger but i i wouldn't really think too much of it because i didn't understand like the roots of it but the colorism too mm. like even oh even um, within my own family, like if I would, you know, cause like when, I don't know, like when I would go to the Philippines and I would, you know, when, when we get there, I'm super light or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when you're there for like a couple of days, a couple of weeks and you start getting darker then like people start making comments, like my Lola would, would be like, oh, like um, you're getting too dark. Like you, yeah. like you shouldn't be in the sun so much and yeah, that, like that was something that I would hear growing up, but I didn't actually understand like where that was coming from. But that was something that I started to be more conscious of, like uh, in more like recent years. Yeah, it's uh, speaking of colorism, because back in the day when I visited, I'm not sure if it still exists, they had soap that apparently made your skin lighter. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a huge market. Yeah. Right. They have it everywhere. Oh my God. Bleaching, yeah. like, ble bleaching skin, changing yeah. accents. Like papaya soap. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it was yeah. called, papaya soap. Wow. Um, to switch gears a little bit, uh, I know you're creative, so I'm curious about this. Like, what you do a lot. You're a painter, you're a poet, you're a performing artist. How did you get into those? Like, what kind of inspired you? <laughs> um, 
So I think my journey as an artist <laughs> uh, started around high school, I'd say. And I feel like there's a, a lot of people who are like, oh, there was this one teacher that changed my life. For me, that was like my art teacher in high school. Okay. Because um, so my first art class was actually an accident because my guidance counselor like put me in the wrong class. It was like for a graduation requirement, but like he messed it up, whatever. <laughs> I was like in that class by accident. But then the art teacher, shout out to Mrs. Delacaris. She's a such a sweetheart. Um, she So it was like an intro class, but then I guess she recognized something in me. Um, and then she just kept pushing me to explore where like in the class, like whatever, she would give everyone these assignments for the class period. And then she would like tell me like, oh, like you can just go in the back of the room, like where all the uh, art supplies was. And she was like, you just do whatever you want. <laughs> just like, figure it out. Um, so then that's really, I think, where I started to explore that creativity a little bit more um, and started to, yeah, try, try to like actually tap into that potential. Um, so that was more for like visual art and painting, but then for poetry, I think, yeah, that was also something that I started in high school and I started mostly with like reading and writing. And then there was this poetry competition at my school that my English teacher pushed me to compete in. And then that was also like a life-changing experience for me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I ended up like going to there were, there was like different levels and i i really wasn't expecting anything out of it okay um but then i went from the school level to county to state and then uh i went to represent jersey like in the nationals oh wow and then yeah so that was like a huge huge life-changing experience for me and i like because up to that point i wasn't really like a performer i was most i was most mostly like more into reading and writing but after that like being able to experience um the performance aspect and just like you know interacting with an audience and and just experiencing poetry in that um type of way really i think opened the door for me to becoming more of like a spoken word artist and like a performing artist um so that's how that started and then when I got to Montreal, <laughs> I was so, so inspired by the music scene, the art scene, uh, everything here. Like I would pull up to these like live jams and everything. And it was just so amazing, like so much energy and so much um, passion and talent. And I was just so, so inspired where I was like, yo, like I want to do music. Um, <laughs> Because I, I did music when I was younger. Um, I took piano lessons and I played guitar, but it was never something that, um, reg I, and it's something I regret now. Like I wish that I kept up with the piano lessons, um, but it's definitely something I, I want to take up again. And then, okay. so when I was in Montreal, I realized I was like, you know what? Like rapping is just spoken word on a beat. Like I can do that. <laughs> That's crazy. That's um, crazy. So then that's how that started. And now it's been maybe two years since I've been like performing music um, like in Montreal. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I had a chance to listen to a few uh, also on your Instagram. 
Speaking of that, how did you come up with your artist name, Bea Da Vinci? Um, <laughs> so Bea is my real name. Um, and then Da Vinci from, I don't know, I just, I just wanted to be <laughs> like a Renaissance artist and just do a bunch of different stuff. Like I'm, I'm, it really blows my mind. Like I get so inspired by Renaissance artists, like back back in the day when they didn't have <laughs> all these other commitments and stuff. like when you were an artist you were an you were an artist yeah. you know what I mean like you didn't have all these other commitments and stuff and it was like a lifelong venture I don't know if that's yeah venture it. dedication yeah and like the amount of skill and just like dedication and time that they would put into one piece and just not even what also amazed me is that they would be multidisciplinary, um, yeah. just like geniuses, you know, they would be, they would excel in so many different things and had such like a cultural impact. And that was like, I don't know, something that I aspire towards. <laughs> um, but then I have it with a DI um, instead of a DA, um, just from my um, actual last name. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It sounds cool. It has a nice ring to it. I'm it just does. gonna run with it. <laughs> but that's but that's a cool um because I feel like it probably resonates with what you're doing now because I mean the term Renaissance man, right, is uh, or Renaissance person would be somebody who who tackles who's multidisciplinary and, and that's what you're doing now. So that's uh it's very fitting. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> um as an artist, I'm curious to know. Uh, how do you deal with creative blocks? Oh, I know that's tough. <laughs> like, and I'm sure a lot of people are just they're trying to find ways to deal um, with it. I'm curious, like, what's your process? You know, it's like, oh shoots, like, what what do I do next? Do I look for inspiration? Do I try to learn something new? Um, um, so there is actually a book that I have been reading that has changed. I'm I was like looking over there because I think it's somewhere over here, <laughs> but it's called okay. It's called um, The War of Art. Here it is. Okay. The War of Art we'll do it. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> by uh, Stephen Pressfield. And pretty much it talks about um, how to kind of like break through creative blocks and overcoming like resistance as an artist. Because um, he talks about how, you know, if, if you're really serious about becoming a, a skilled artist, you can't just wait for when you're inspired or like when you're feeling creative because that is something that is just like so inconsistent and just you can't just rely on that so he talks about um going from he terms it going from am amateur to going pro which is like when you show up to your craft as if it were a job you know so mm. like you know people have jobs that they they don't want to go to work every day <laughs> like there are days that you wake up that you just you don't want to show up but you show up anyway. So he talks about, um, I think probably one of the most powerful quotes that I got from it, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's <laughs> like, the thing that great successful writers know that amateurs don't know is that the hard part isn't writing, the hard part is sitting down to write. And that right. applies to other disciplines other than writing. But it's like, over the the real obstacle, I think, is not the creative block itself but bringing yourself to be disciplined to create even through that block so he talks about also the difference between like okay that doesn't mean that every time you sit down and create 
it has to be something that's good but the fact that you are overcoming that resistance and are still creating like that is going to compound you know and it's like even if you sit down and you create something that is shit like that you're going to learn from that mistake and it's going to help you continue to develop so that was something that really changed my perspective on like creative blocks like sometimes if I don't feel like creating or like if I if I don't feel like I'm inspired I will still sit down to do something creative Mm -hmm. even if it it's just if it doesn't turn and like giving myself permission to create something that is not amazing you know because that's not everything you're going to create is not going to be great so like even sometimes like I'm trying to make it like a daily habit to engage Mm -hmm. in something creative even if it's if I'm not like producing something I like the past few nights what I've been doing is like before bed for like 20 minutes I'll sit down and I'll just like color in a coloring book no that's good that's good (laughs) and it's like at least you're still engaging in something creative and you're like building that habit it's Um, uh, no thanks for sharing that uh for me what I've what I've learned is every time now I see something that inspires me, I open my notepad or I open my notepad on my phone. I just type it in. So then, like you said, once I have that time to sit down, I look at everything that I wrote and I just brainstorm and see like, okay, what can I make out of this? What kind of message do I want to send from my next project? So that's cool. What was the name of the book again? Just said, uh, so I know. The War, the the war, war of Art. The War of Art. Art. Okay, I want to probably take a look at that. Stephen Pressfield, yeah. <laughs> great, great book. This is like life-changing for creatives, I think. <laughs> Oh my God. So yeah, I mentioned rap battles for social justice. I know through your art, um, your message is uh, love, equality, and change. What kind of uh, led you to a form of activism, by the way? What, what inspired you to, to go there, that route? Um, so I think growing up, I kind of saw the, like, I've always been kind of engaged and interested in like arts and like social justice but more as like two separate things um and i kind of saw them uh, as two as like mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. um so i didn't really realize that that was actually a path that i could take or something that i could do that was like a way to intertwine these two passions Mm -hmm. and then yeah again I keep coming back to like when I got to Montreal (laughs) Um, which again shows how how much like being um, in Montreal has influenced me but um, once I got to Montreal and I saw all these really dope and and also okay side note (laughs) I feel like I I rave about Montreal so much um, because like it's such a unique like I've gone to a few places like in my lifetime and different places have different you know personalities and cultures and stuff but I've never been anywhere like Montreal and I feel like a lot of Montreal like the homegrown Montrealers mm-hmm. will will be like oh yeah like it's Montreal. <laughs> but then people who come who are coming from like a completely different like background or experience and they get here and we're like whoa this is amazing Um, i once i once saw because i on that note i once heard somebody say the problem with montrealers is that they never want to leave montreal whereas people who come to montreal 
like are always wanting to get away from wherever it is they like for whatever reason they just want to change the environment <laughs> but montrealers apparently never want to leave uh, the city so that's that's the problem with Montrealers. yeah it's it's great um but so yeah um so when i got to montreal i started to notice all of these really great initiatives and organizations and artists that were finding creative ways to combine art with activism in, in ways that were meaningful and, and impactful. Um, and so you mentioned Rap Owls for Social Justice. I had actually heard about them in my first uh, year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, like this is mm -hmm. the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> That's but, what I thought, honestly. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had heard about it for about like a year and I was kind of just like keeping up with what they were doing. Um, and then the first live performance I ever had in Montreal, like the first time I ever went to like rap in public, it was an open mic. And one of the, um, the other performers who had gone before me, like he saw me rap, whatever. And then we actually didn't meet that night, but he got in touch with one of our mutual friends and was like, yo, like I saw you rap at like the open mic. And I'm part of this organization called like Rap Owls for Social Justice. We're looking for um, performers for this upcoming gig, um, blah, blah, blah. And then I got recruited for that. And then after that, I just like started getting more involved with them. And amazing. it was, yeah, it was really awesome. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> uh, Eric, any more, do you have any thoughts um, regarding this topic? I want to move on to a different subject. Afterwards. I mean, there's so many. I know. <laughs> I just, uh, how do we... Cause no, cause I was just thinking about how rap, rap battles for social justice. So, I mean, you know, a lot of us have seen rap battles and you know, the, 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 uh, how do you call it? The, um, the equation, you know, like of, of a rap battle type of thing. And I'm just wondering how much more difficult it must be when tackling <laughs> social justice and just on, just as being a wordsmith in the first place, cause those are a lot of big words <laughs> yeah. when you think about, you know, like, yeah. So like, I mean, this, was that difficult? Like, was it different? Like, I mean, did you, did, did you ever battle before this or? Um, okay, so there's, I keep telling them that, uh, that we should like kind of go for a different name because the, <laughs> the shows are not all um, rap battles. So okay. a lot of, like we will integrate rap battles into it, but a lot of it is just like, performance and like songs or spoken word but not necessarily like in a battle format uh, okay. okay so i'd say majority of the performances that i've done with them are just like standalone like songs or verses or whatever but not actual battles but um what usually happens in the battles depending on the on like the the topic one person will kind of like take on this persona of like the good guy and then the other one will okay. be like the bad guy like there was one okay. for uh, climate justice and one was like i think like uh, like an oil uh like an oil company or, yeah oil company yeah. and then someone was like fighting for climate justice something like that um, also it's like a debate almost yeah like, like yeah. Uh, okay that's kind of cool I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so this month is filipino heritage month let's shift the talking about the culture so Bea what's your favorite part of Filipino culture really curious so <laughs> when you when you sent me um the questions and I was looking through them I was like wow oh my 
gosh, like how would I, <laughs> right? how would I even answer this? Because there's so much. Um, but I feel like, okay, food, definitely up there. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, and then I'd also have to say, I think I really, really appreciate the diversity because it's like we, yeah, we have so many diverse external influences just by virtue of our history but then even like within the island itself because it's like so broken up and so Mm -hmm. sparse on like the different islands there are so many different kind of like communities um and it's not just like one uniform filipino culture (laughs) which is like why again it's it's a tricky question to navigate in the first place of like what does it mean to feel to be filipino like what is that um and i think that's something that has also helped me to kind of, um, I guess, understand my identity in terms of like the diversity of like, there's no one way to like be Filipino. Like that looks different in so many different contexts. Yeah. I think that's why we love asking the question, hearing the answers. It's like, for us, we love learning about people and what they think. And it's, uh, for most people, it's been quite different. It's been mm. beautiful to hear, honestly. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I've actually heard it explain that way i've always known it but like yeah you know like uh, the philippines is so diverse and i was sitting here like oh yeah that's right like we are (laughs) diverse so Um, yeah with that in mind uh, what do you think is the most important or for you what's the important part to share about the culture i think the thing to share um, yeah i think one of the things that is also really valuable in filipino culture is like i think the hospitality and like the community of it because it's like if you go into some random place mm-hmm. in the u.s and you run into filipinos like they will act like that's your family you know like there's just like this this warmness you know um of just like um what's the word i think it's a welcoming Gabayan? Gabayan? yeah yeah it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah when it's like your your country folk um, even when you're not like in the country and it's just like this instant bond um, that I've always been like really fond of yeah and okay so the the hospitality oh and also that was something that I took for granted a lot I think because <laughs> I kind of like because that's the way that I I was raised um, so I, I kind of thought that that was like a universal thing that like people just look out for each other and, and are just like you know, it's more of like this communal thing than mm-hmm. more than like in individualism that's like very much in the West or whatever. Um, but then I remember there's this one time where I really realized that like, oh, this, we are not all on the same page. <laughs> um, I, went, I had gone over to a friend's house um, and we were like hanging out, whatever. And then he was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm kind of like sitting there and I'm like, you know, cause like if you, if you go into a Filipino house, they're always going to feed you, they're yeah. always mm-hmm. gonna feed you. <laughs> or at least like, at, or like give you something to take home <laughs> um, or at least ask if you want something. Yeah. And I'm like sitting there watching him make this like peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like kind of like almost waiting for him to say something. <laughs> he didn't offer me. No, he just made this sandwich and we just continued chilling and he's like eating his sandwich. And I was like, 
what? Oh, okay. where's my sandwich, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's how it's going to be. All right. All right. No, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's something I do for granted too. Cause we, you know, I got so used to it. Then yeah. when you go to a gathering, that's not family. It's like, Oh, I guess I'm not eating right now or I'm not. Eating better <laughs> yeah. <now."> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually wanted to ask, sorry, just really quickly, because uh, on the topic of, you know, hospitality and, and welcoming and, and whatnot, because when you came to Montreal, did you have any friends or family here, uh, Filipino, otherwise? Like in, in Montreal? In, in Montreal, or, yeah. Um, not really. Like, I had one kind of Filipino friend, because okay. um, our dads had gone to med school together, and... Okay the daughter was also going to McGill so our dads wanted to like introduce us to each other okay um and like we're great friends now but uh like we're super tight but at the time that they introduced us I was like we <laughs> we just like didn't really click um it was <laughs> just like funny. it because it just felt like one of those like awkward like oh our parents are like forcing us to play <laughs> um so we like really weren't cool at all like the first year or so but now okay. we're super tight. Like I was just talking to her yesterday. That's um, cool. But. Yeah, because I was just wondering if, if you had that kind of welcoming, because you said, you know, you discovered all these different, uh, like the Filipino community as a whole when you came to Montreal. Wondering if you got that kind of welcome, you know, being that you didn't really have anybody, you didn't come down, you came down by yourself, you didn't really have family here. So yeah, that was just more, I was curious about that. I love it though. Again, uh, the welcoming, the hospitality, um, that vibe that I think all, most Filipinos have, all Filipinos have, has been shared with, I think, with all of our guests, Eric. And it's, I think we're doing a good job sharing it generation to generation, you know, mm -hmm. so we're proud of that. Uh, any closing thoughts before we move on to our next segment, fastball questions, Eric? I just wanted to know a few of your artistic inspirations, uh, music, uh, artists, Filipino or otherwise. Oh, okay. <laughs> Definitely, because um, someone asked me this the other day. Mm -hmm. Ruby Ibarra, I yeah. love her so much. I will always rave about her because I think she just does a phenomenal job of kind of telling the the Filipino American experience, like mm -hmm. music. And she is a dope rapper. Like she, she is. Yeah, yeah I awesome. recently just discovered her, so totally <laughs> love her vibe as well. Yeah, she's dope. Um, and I actually got to like moderate a, a panel with her at the oh, Pinai Power conference last Amazing. year. Amazing. Yeah. So that was like, I was like, I was like sitting two <laughs> seats away from her, but the whole time I was like, oh my God, I'm like fangirling <laughs> so hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So she's awesome. Um, also, one of my Filipino artist favorites right now is also her. She's like, oh, amazing, yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. Like she just plays everything. Is just so so musically uh, talented. Mm -hmm. Other inspirations, I would definitely say Lauren Hill. Just yeah. in terms of like, she she was just so, yeah. She she just was able to to capture so many emotions and just like deep experiences um through her music and i think yeah. she was around probably i think my age when she released um miseducation she i oh think she God, was like yeah. 21 and yeah that's she was like, young yeah yeah and that's like an amazing amazing uh like 
classic album, which is... And she was already recording with the Fugees before that, right? Yeah. So, I felt like she yeah. was uh, ahead of her time as an artist. It was really, oh, yeah. For sure. Really good. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't. <laughs> There's no, no, so that's, many. That's perfect. Yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> no, no. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Thanks those. for sharing. Yeah. So, uh, Bea, we're going to move on to our fastball questions. Okay. Uh, basically, it's uh, answer as many questions as you can in 60 seconds at the sound of John Eric's bell. You have a bell today? So, Eric? wait, we're just going to test this. I have a bell. I have an actual physical bell. Do you hear this? Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Count us down, Eric, and we're going to go for it. Okay. Three, two, one. First Tagalog word that comes to mind. Pagkain. <laughs> Favorite Filipino food? Sinigang. Go-to karaoke song? Uh, my heart will go on. Favorite spot in Montreal? Mm. <laughs> uh, old port. <laughs> name a Filipino dish that starts with the first letter of your first name. Ooh, this is going to be tough. Bangos? Isn't oh, that a wow. <laughs> 30 seconds, guys. When I say greatest of all time, who do you think of? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Langonisa or Tocino? Longanisa. Favorite old school jam? Uh, the one by Sugar Hill Gang. Um, Rapper's Delight. Nice. Uh, what's on your Netflix right now? 10 seconds. Uncut Gems. Spell your last name backwards. N-A-G-N-A-L-U-C-A-M-I-D. How the heck did you do that? <laughs> like, no I don't know how dude. she did it. That was crazy. Yo, you, you I killed it. Dude, I was looking at the time, like I was counting down the time as she was spelling it. I was like, whoa, she's actually going to get it. <laughs> like, I actually don't even know if I spelled it right. You did. And, <laughs> and so you, you didn't cheat because like, I think it shows on for some of us on Zoom. I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh my God, you're actually spelling it. And your name is in like five letters. It's, it's quite and, a and the fact that you got to that question before you got uh, dinged, because uh, we have a lot of people we don't even get there sometimes. <laughs> so, so yeah, good, good job. Good job. Yo, Bay, again, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we just want to ask you uh, one last thing. Is there anybody or an organization you want to give a shout out to before we close out? Um, I definitely want to uh, take a moment to acknowledge and shout out all the folks that are um, protesting right now for Black Lives Matter, like in so many different organizations, so many different um, like allies who are just, yeah, just putting so much on the line um, for, for justice that has been long, long overdue. And, you know, even in, in the middle of a pandemic, folks yeah. are still showing up in, in massive numbers. And I think that's incredible. And I think um, hopefully we are seeing the the verge of a shift um but shout out to all of those folks um for sure and stay safe out there oh my god thank you so much thanks again for uh taking the time to join us here so on behalf of filipinos of montreal we out